Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way part-time pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the part-time pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, what's up, future pilots? Do you still rent or borrow your aviation headset from your flight school? I remember when I was a student pilot, I definitely borrowed for over a full year from my flight school before I was gifted my own set. But flying in Southern California, I can tell you right now that every student who borrowed those headsets was just filling those ear pads with sweat and grime every single time and every single time i put on those headsets i thought about that and in fact there was quite often when those headsets would stop working because they had so much use by so many different students so it was kind of an inconvenience before i had my own set of headsets but at the time like it makes sense because i wasn't willing to fork over 500 to a thousand dollars for a headset you know i wasn't willing to give up that's like four to six flight lessons. So I couldn't afford that for a quality pair of headsets. Well, with Core Aviation, you can get a quality, durable, and good-looking headset for less than $200 or even $100. So I heard of Core from a friend and had to try them out myself. I'm always on the lookout for ways that my students can save money while still getting a quality product. So I went out and I bought a set of KA-1 Core headsets for my own and was amazed at the similarities in comfort and audio quality that they had with my Bose headsets or the David Clark models that I had borrowed from the flight school. So this Core KA-1 headset, let me just tell you some of the things that comes with this headset at the low price of under $200. It's got five-year manufacturer warranty service in the U.S., High-density acoustic foam ear cups with best-in-class passive noise attenuation, up to 50% higher industry standard passive noise reduction rating of 24 dB, ultra-soft silicone gel ear seals that allow your ears to breathe so they don't get super sweaty up there, dual-volume controls for quick adjustments in each ear, electric noise-canceling flex-boom microphone for quiet communication, Gold-plated plugs for best connection and corrosion resistance and to limit the amount of times you have calm issues while you're up there flying. Very, very important. And it even has a 3.5mm audio port for iOS, Android, MP3 compatibility if that's something you want to do. And the best part is that the ones I got are still going strong after three years of continuous use. And sometimes I give my passengers my Bose ones and I use the core aviation ones. So... To all, everyone that's listening that wants your own headset and wants to, you know, be that official pilot and not borrow those sweaty rental headsets at your flight school, go check out Core Aviation at coreheadset.com. And this is Core with a K, so that's K-O-R-E headset.com or K-O-R-E-H-E-A-D-S-E-T.com. And then use the coupon code. Here's the even cooler part coupon code part-time pilot to get 10% off so you guys know how to spell part-time pilot that's no spaces p-a-r-t-t-i-m-e-p-i-l-o-t part-time pilot no spaces use that coupon code you'll get 10% off and right now core aviation is doing a sale and they have no shipping cost so you, shipping is free so that means you can get their p1 general aviation headsets which are like normally 120 dollars you can get the and now they're like 109 on sale for 109 You get free shipping, and then you get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon code Part-Time Pilot. So you can get your own headset that I that has comes highly recommended by myself for less than $100. So Core is a great, great new company, and they are awesome first 
headset for students. So go check it out. And they also look pretty cool, I think, and they're comfortable. So go check those out. Again, it's coreheadset.com, core with a K. Use coupon code part-time pilot. Hey, what's up pilots? This is Nick. I wanted to take a second and talk about the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep book. Now we don't have a ton of reviews yet on Amazon, but a lot of people have gotten it and we have a lot of good feedback from it. And the reason why is because it blows out all those other test prep books out of the water, right? If you've gotten a test prep book before, it's got a bunch of FA written test questions. It's good for that. It's good for that rote memorization, practicing those test problems and stuff. But if you want to learn beyond that, it might have some bullet point summaries of some of the subjects. It might tell you some tips on multiple choice test strategies, but that's about it, right? So what if you want to learn this stuff at a fundamental level? What if you want to go deeper on any of these topics because you're just not getting these topics? And the reason I made this is because we don't have anything physical. And I myself am someone who really likes to study with something physical in my hands. I like to take it with me to the beach, to the park, when I'm traveling, whatever. So I wanted to make a book unlike any of the other books. So that's what I did with the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep. So how is it different? Well, it's got all those test questions just like the other books. It covers every single subject just like the other books, but it breaks things down and explains all the concepts in simple English. And then you add in diagrams and visual aids that those books do not have. And then you also add in QR codes. You know, those little QR codes that you scan to bring up a menu that came around during COVID. So yeah, you can do that with your mobile device, your iPad, whatever, and it'll bring up a video lesson on what you're watching. We also have a bunch of QR codes in there for free downloads, as well as free practice tests that come with the book. So it's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's only 37 dollars and it's got literally everything you guys that's why it's the ultimate test prep book it's the best bet you can get for one single book when you're studying for your private pilot test so check it out Hello, welcome to the Audio Ground School podcast. My name is Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot Online Ground School. So, how are you guys doing today? You doing pretty good? Well, one thing you might hear during this episode is you might hear the airplane noises that we usually can hear in the background because I record these very near San Diego International Airport under the approach path. Well, today, instead of landing to the west they're landing to the east and taking off to the east because we have some santa Ana winds we have winds out of the east we usually have winds out of the west and you always want to take off and land in a headwind so they switched that today and so now i'm under the takeoff path instead of the landing path so the aircraft have you know like full engine power so it's it's a little bit louder so if you hear that that is kind of what what you're observing uh so don't be don't be alarmed i'm not you know in a war zone or anything like that thank goodness so in the last episode we were going through our online ground school lessons and this is in if you're following along in the online ground school and if you're not i really recommend it because every single student that goes through it passes their exams every single one or like a 400 and counting but we did we're in step two the course step two that's where all your lessons are going to be your video lessons your mnemonic devices your images your quizzes all that stuff step three is practice test for score and then step four and five are to get your endorsement from me so we're in section six of that step two course on national airspace system this was the last episode and we finished that on transponder requirements lesson 11 but then we started section seven so we kind of did the first half was the end of section six and the second half was the start of section seven now if you the reason i'm talking about this is because if you missed that episode you got to go and at least watch the second or listen to the second half because that first lesson is very very important the first lesson of section seven fundamentals of aerodynamics is on the forces of flight and we talk about the different axes of movement the forces of flight lift weight thrust drag the longitudinal axis lateral axis vertical axis and then the movements around those axes pitch roll and yaw those are the very fundamentals of understanding the aerodynamics and key things that you have to know as a pilot not only for the written exam but definitely for your check ride oral and it just makes you a better pilot if you understand how your aircraft is able to move all right so with that said go and check that out if you haven't yet because you're going to need those fundamentals for this lesson which is lesson two of section seven on lift 
All right, now before we get started on Lyft, and we're only gonna cover Lyft today because it is a longer lesson, and I want to, you know, with my background as an aerospace engineer, I wanna make sure I do my education some justice and give you the correct explanations. But before we get to that, I, I heard something that I thought was really cool, and I think I might start doing this at the beginning of every episode, just an interesting aviation aerospace related fact, because I learned this, and well, it's not something I learned, but it's just sort of a realization that I thought was really, really cool. So I might start doing this at the beginning of each episode, but today's that I want to mention was, it was some, one of the astronauts in the Apollo missions that went to the moon, they were being interviewed and they were talking about their dad's fondest memory. So this astronaut's dad, his dad's fondest memory was watching or hearing about on the news the Wright brothers' first ever flight. So that's so crazy because in, in, in just one generation, we went from experiencing the Wright brothers, like figuring out how to fly an airplane for like, what was it, like 15 seconds or something like that, to landing a person on the moon. Like that is so insane. I can't even comprehend it. And it shows two things to me. It shows one, you know, our technology is increasing at an exponential rate, right? So you you can see that with computer chips. There's like that law where the computer chips, what they can do and how much they can do and the size of them just increases exponentially. And you can see that with the computers that they use to go to the moon and, and the computers we have now, like our, my smartwatch, for example, can do more than what the computers on the moon could do. That's just a prime example of it. So there's that, that technology is increasing exponentially. And then two, it shows like what humans can achieve if we have an unlimited budget. We don't worry about money and we have a bunch of smart people working together on the same goal, right? That's what the space race was. That was what, you know, all Americans and all the industries in America were just all the best engineers were just geared towards the space race. All eyes were on it. So, and there was an unlimited budget and that's what can occur when, when that kind of stuff happens. It gives me hope for, you know, if you hear like doomsday type things, like with the planet, global warming, you know, going through things like our biodiversity decreasing in another mass extinction event, all that sort of stuff. If you, if you read about that, it makes me a little more optimistic thinking like, well, hopefully we can all get on the same page and before something horrible like that happens and we can figure it out. Because when we are on the same page and we don't think about money and all that stuff, we can do some pretty amazing things. All right, so that's, that's my spiel for the day. All my next fun facts may not be that long, so apologies, but hopefully... You thought that was interesting as well. So let's get to the lesson. This is lesson two of section seven on fundamentals of aerodynamics. And this lesson is on lift. Lift is the upward force that causes aircraft to fly. Lift is a force that acts perpendicular to relative wind and perpendicular to the aircraft's lateral axis. So if you remember in the last episode, we talked about the lateral axis. That's the one that goes from through one wingtip and out the other wingtip. So perpendicular to that perpendicular means in, at a 90 degree angle. So that lift is acting vertically up on the aircraft. And also in the last episode, we talked about how weight and gravity opposes lift. That acts vertically downward against lift and lift acts upward. In order to maintain altitude, an aircraft's lift must equal the force of weight on the aircraft. Lift is a direct function of airspeed and angle of attack. So what that means, what direct function means is as the airspeed increases, so does the lift. If the airspeed decreases, then the lift would decrease. Same thing for angle of attack. As the angle of attack increases, so does the lift. As it decreases, so does the lift. There's a caveat to the angle of attack. As angle of attack increases, the lift does increase, but there is a critical or maximum angle of attack where you can no longer create lift after that and that's called the stall and we'll get to that in the next lesson so but generally speaking as the angle of attack increases so does the lift the angle of attack is defined as the angle between the cord line of the wing and the relative wind now there might be some new terms here that you've never heard of so i'm going to kind of break those down a little bit i'm going to talk about the angle of attack i'm going to talk about the relative wind and i'm going to talk about the cord line so you can get a complete understanding of what we're talking about here and there's also one other thing I'm going to define for you. It's called an airfoil. So an airfoil is the cross-sectional shape of a wing. So if you were to take a wing and you were to cut it with a knife and then 
look at it from the side so you can see the insides of it, that cross-sectional shape, it looks like an elongated teardrop, is called the airfoil. And that's what the wind sees, right? The wind is traveling over that shape, that cross-sectional shape, because you're traveling in that direction so that the air goes over the wings and it goes over and around that airfoil shape. So that's what the wind sees, that's an airfoil. Now the cord line is the imaginary straight line joining the leading edge and the trailing edge of an airfoil. So if you took the point, the leading edge, the very front point of the airfoil and the very back, and you drew a line from there to the very last point or trailing edge of the airfoil in the very back, that would be the cord line. All right, now the relative wind, relative wind is the direction of movement of the air or atmosphere relative to an aircraft or its airfoil. It is opposite to the direction of movement of the aircraft or airfoil relative to the atmosphere. So that's the relative wind. We kind of represent this as a vector or an arrow, right? So if the aircraft is moving in a certain direction or a certain, you know, climb attitude or descent attitude, it has a certain direction and the wind relative to that direction is the relative wind. So now that we know those two things, the angle of attack is the angle between the cord line of the wing and the relative wind. So you can be moving, you can have a positive angle where the cord line is at a positive angle to the relative wind, right? But you're moving through that relative wind forward and it's a bit hard to, to kind of describe. So we're going to have a couple videos in the show notes for you guys that will hopefully explain this a little bit better, especially at the end on our video on how an aircraft produces lift. So hang with me, but to, to review, we have the cord line, which is the, the line from the leading edge to the trailing edge, and then we have the relative wind, which is opposite the direction of movement of the aircraft, and then we have the angle between the two, is the angle of attack. And then remember, if you increase that angle of attack, so you kind of tilt your cord line up, your, your airfoil up to increase that angle between the relative wind, that's increasing the angle of attack and that's increasing your lift. Now I wanna talk about variables affecting lift and the lift equation. Now, this equation I put in here is only to help with your understanding. Never as a pilot are you going to need to calculate the lift. I don't think so. Unless you're designing your own airplane or something like that, then you would want to calculate your lift. But you're not going to need to remember. What I'm trying to say is you're not going to need to remember memorize this equation. It's only here, and I only want to talk about it, use it as a tool to understand how lift works and how certain things affect the lift. So the airfoils of a wing will receive sufficient flow as long as the aircraft maintains enough airspeed under the critical angle of attack. Remember, we talked about that critical angle of attack. That's basically where lift stops and you stall. So the airfoils of a wing will receive sufficient flow as long as the aircraft maintains enough airspeed under the critical angle of attack. The lift will increase as the airspeed increases. Furthermore, the airfoils will turn this flow into lift as long as they have a positive angle of attack to the oncoming air, and that angle of attack is not too high, and the air cannot stay attached to the wing. So that is kind of just repeating what I already told you. The airfoils are going to create lift and that lift is going to increase as airspeed and the angle of attack increases as long as you don't reach that critical angle of attack where the air can no longer stay attached. It's too big of an angle for the air to stay attached and create lift. And we'll get to that in the stall and you lose your lift. That's called a stall. So as long as you're under that, the lift is going to be created and it's going to increase with airspeed and angle of attack. The lift, the equation to calculate lift is commonly observed as lift equals, and then we have a fraction here. On the top of the fraction, we have something called CL. It's called the coefficient of lift. And then you have density. So CL times density, the air density of the atmosphere that you're flying through, the air that you're flying through, times airspeed squared, the velocity squared, times S. And S is sort of the, it's the planform area of your wing. So, and then all that divided by two, that equals lift. So let's talk about what these things are and why we care about them and how this can help you understand what affects lift. As a pilot, you will not, and I mentioned this before, you'll not be required to memorize this equation or know how to calculate lift. What you will be required to understand are the components that affect lift. The equation above, or that I just talked about, assumes a constant angle 
angle of attack. This angle of attack is directly proportionate to CL. So remember, I told you that like as angle of attack increases, lift increases. Well, we didn't talk about angle of attack being in that equation. That's because that equation takes angle of attack out and assumes a constant angle of attack. That equation just calculates lift for a constant angle of attack. If you were to increase angle of attack, what it does is it increases that CL, that coefficient of lift value. And that's what I want to talk about next. The angle of attack, again, is directly proportionate to lift or CL. So that, that CL number. CL is the coefficient of lift. As the angle of attack goes up, CL goes up until the critical angle of attack is reached. Then CL drops sharply. That's where you get a stall. The figure we're looking at here shows this perfectly. It's a little chart. It shows that even at a negative AOA, you start to get some lift because of the shape of the airfoils. And as you increase a more positive AOA, a positive AOA and then even more positive AOA, you continue to increase that. CL just keeps going up and up and up, almost linearly. And then you reach the critical AOA and it just drops sharply right after that. So I'm following along, go check out that chart to see it's just a graphical representation of what I've been saying that lift and CL, because CL goes with lift, increases with angle of attack until a certain point. The Greek letter, so that's CL. The Greek letter rho, which it looks kind of like a cursive lowercase p, that represents density. So it's the density of air and it directly affects the amount of lift your aircraft will get. Air density and its effects on lift will be described in more detail later. If you ever heard of density altitude, this is all about why we care about it because it affect, it's in that lift equation and it directly affects lift. Remember how I said airspeed and angle of attack directly affect lift? Well, so does the density of the air. So that's why we talk about density altitude and that's why we care about that stuff. And we're gonna have our, a very special lesson on density altitude a little bit later. But that is what density, if you're looking at that equation, that's what that Greek letter rho is. It represents density. So V in that equation is the velocity or airspeed of the aircraft. You can see from the equation how much effect the velocity has on lift because it's velocity squared. If the velocity of an aircraft is 100, then this V squared component of the lift equation is 100 squared or 10,000. So that's on in the numerator of the equation equal to lift. So as that velocity velocity goes up and then you square the velocity that's going to make lift that much more on a at or with an exponential relationship right so it really shows you how much velocity has an effect on the lift velocity is the greatest contributor to lift because the more air molecules that flow over the wing the more lift that can be created how this lift is created will be explained shortly s i talked about is the surface area of the wing or some people call it the planform area the larger the surface area of the wing the more lift an aircraft will have because again it's on the top of that numerator all those so cl was on the top and that cl is affected by aoa so you can think of it as aoa coefficient of lift density was on top of that numerator in the equation, velocity squared was on top and S was on top. So that means as all those get bigger, the lift gets bigger. So again, as the surface area gets bigger, so will the lift. As a pilot, you don't need have to worry about this because your wings will always stay the same surface area more or less when you add flaps and depending on your aircraft, you are effectively changing the surface area depending on what type of flaps you have. Some flaps can extend outwards and actually increase that surface area. Those are more on more complex aircraft and jets and stuff like that. Usually we just have flaps that extend in or out, but they can also increase the area of the wings and that's how flaps create more lift. You know, engineers are always trying to come up with ways to put larger and larger wings on aircrafts and find different techniques to have flaps that sit inside the aircraft and then can be deflected outwards and increase that area. So it's always something that engineers are trying to come up with. And there's been a lot of ideas floated out around there on how to increase the area of the wings without adding too much weight and all that stuff. So it, it's a it's a battle between you know complexity, weight, cost, all that stuff. And it comes with a price. The larger the wings, the more weight, of course, is added to the aircraft. This is why material science and composite wings like on the 787 are so popular these days. The composite wings instead of the metal wings can be lighter but have the same strength and durability if they're made correctly. So you got lighter wings, you can make the wings bigger, longer, and not add too much to your weight. So that's why, you know, material science is so important in, in aviation. 
So let me summarize what I just said because I've said a lot and if this is new to you, it's like drinking through a fire hose. So I'm gonna summarize here and there so that try and help you guys that are that are new to this. A pilot must understand that his or her aircraft must create more lift than the aircraft's weight. To do this, pilots must know that his or her airspeed is a number one contribution to lift. The pilot must also understand that the AOA, the angle of attack, also has a significant effect on lift and that exceeding the critical AOA causes a stall, which again, we'll talk about how stalls work in the next lesson. Finally, a pilot must understand that the density of the air that he she is flying in also has a direct effect on lift the last point of density can be critical if not understood while flying a heavy aircraft on a day with low air density and we're going to also talk about that in more detail in our lesson on density altitude. there are many explanations out there for how an aircraft flies but unfortunately many of them are wrong unfortunately even some universities and schools have been wrong on this explanation one of the most common incorrect theories of how lift is created on an aircraft wing is called the equal transit theory this this theory says that air on top of the wing takes the same amount of time to reach the trailing edge of the wing as the air on the bottom. Then because of the cross-sectional shape of aircraft wings or airfoils having a curved surface on top and flat surface on the bottom, the air on the top has to travel a larger distance. So in order for the air on top to reach the trailing edge at the same time as the air on the bottom, as in this equal transit theory, it has to move faster. The explanation then goes on to say that because the air on top is moving faster that it has a lower pressure according to Bernoulli's equation of flow. This theory is correct that the air on top of the wing is moving faster and has lower pressure than the air on the bottom but how and why this happens is incorrect and the equal transit theory the fact that they they reach the the back of the wing at the same time is wrong. The flow on top of the wings does not move faster and decrease pressure because of an equal transit time but instead because the flow is turned by the wing which we will describe in a bit. To be safe and make sure you always have the correct info, use the resources provided by the FAA. These resources are what FAA tests are based upon. Even if the FAA is wrong and on a particular theory, you will still want to know the FAA theory to be able to correctly answer any questions on an FAA test. I know that statement that I just said might drive people crazy and it drove me crazy. It's like, why would the FAA have something that's wrong? Well, the FAA in terms of lift, they don't worry too much about how much we understand the lift. They leave that to the aerospace engineers. As pilots, they just want to sort of summarize it and sort of we just want the cliff notes version and i think one of the reasons why so many people get lift wrong including maybe even the faa when they just how they teach lift is just about the bernoulli theory which we'll again we'll talk about and one of the reasons that is is because it's really hard to just dumb down because it's complex so it's a really hard thing to just say in a couple sentences and the faa tries to do that and they're not wrong i'm not saying they're wrong but they don't tell the whole story which we're going to tell the whole story because as i said as an aerospace engineer i feel that i need i need to do that and try my best to do that. So before we get to the things that contribute to the explanation of lift, I want to talk about the components of lift. It is important that we briefly explain the components that make up lift or any force for that matter. So any force is a vector quantity. A vector quantity is a term used in physics and mathematics for a quantity that tells you both magnitude, like a quantity or a number, and a direction in three dimensions. Each force has three components in the three coordinates of space, x, y, and z. You have your up and down coordinate space, which follows the y-axis the left and right coordinate space, which follows along the x-axis, and in and out movement that follows along the z-axis. For a mental picture of this 3D coordinate system, you can check out the lesson in the online ground school. It shows that, that little coordinate system. So any force is made up of three component forces, an x-force, y-force, and z-force. The result of all three components combined is called the resultant force and determines how the force will act. When we say lift makes an aircraft stay afloat, we should technically be saying the resultant force of lift makes an aircraft stay afloat. And we, we sort of dumbed it down so far in saying that lift acts perfectly vertically, but that's not the case as we're going to talk about. That lift vector can change from being perfectly vertical and it actually describes how aircrafts turn. That aircraft lift turns from vertical to slanted off in the direction of your turn. And that is one of the things the FAA is going to ask you about. So that's another reason why, why we're covering it here. So to, in order to understand this, let's consider an aircraft that is floating in outer space. There are no air molecules to cause drag. There's no air for the propeller to cut through to create thrust and propel the aircraft forward. And there is no air for the wings to cut through and create lifting forces. So the aircraft is suspended perfectly and unmoving in space. Just imagine it, okay? <laughs> 
All right, now let's give a vertical force to the aircraft by saying that, let's say God reaches out his giant almighty hand and pushes up from the bottom of the aircraft. Where is the aircraft going to go? It will travel up the y-axis in our 3D coordinate system that we're using here. Now let's say that God also takes his other giant hand at the same time and pushes from the back of the aircraft with the same amount of force as his other hand is pushing up. Where will the aircraft go now? Will it go straight forward along the x-axis? No, it will travel on a diagonal between the x and y-axis because God is pushing the aircraft up the y-axis and along the x-axis at the same time. And the force and the result is a movement both up and to the side. I'm trying to conceptualize the resultant force. You have a component force on the x-axis and a component force on the y-axis, and when you combine them, you get a resultant force that is diagonally through both axes. This is the same thing that happens with lift. A vertical component of lift pushes up on the aircraft in the direction of the y-axis, while the horizontal component of lift pushes on the side of the aircraft along the x-axis. There is a third component of lift, the z-axis, but it is generally small, and for our purposes, we're going to ignore it to make things a little bit simpler, so we're only going to think about lift in two dimensions for now. That's the same thing we do with winds when we're for pilots, and, and we'll talk about winds in, an, in a future episode, but when we calculate winds, we want to know the headwind or tailwind component, and we want to know the crosswind component. That is the same thing. Like wind is only coming from one direction. That's the resultant force, but it has components in these axes of space, right? The X, Y, Z axes of space. So that's, we call it headwind, tailwind, or crosswind in reference to our aircraft. So that, we're, we're doing the same sort of thing. We're finding the components of these things to understand the forces we're getting in certain directions. All right. So so what determines how big the vertical component of lift is compared to the horizontal component? Well, that would be your aileron. When you input left or right aileron, you are changing the amount of lift on either side of your aircraft wings. So remember, we talked about this in the last episode. And you are increasing the horizontal lift component in one direction. So when we our ailerons drop on one wing, that wing rises up. And it also at the same time is increasing when that wing rises up and the aileron drop, it's increasing the angle of attack on that wing. The other wing, when the aileron deflects down, it decreases the lift, decreases the angle of attack, and it drops the wing. So now we have one wing up and one wing down, and now we have this horizontal component of lift that's pushing us to the side, and that's why we are pushed away from the high wing, because it has more lift on that side, and it's got a horizontal component of lift. Also still has the vertical component of lift, that's why we don't drop it out of the sky, but it, now we're adding in this horizontal component of lift, such that our resultant lift force is now not perfectly vertical, but it's it's still vertical in relation to our aircraft's lateral axis. It's still perpendicular to that, but our lateral axis has shifted. So now in space, that vertical axis has tilted in the direction of our turn. Now that that's how airplanes turn. Pretty neat, huh? The figure, it's hard to maybe visualize audibly. I'm, I'm doing my best to explain it, but I want you to take a look at the images. We have straight and level flight. We have the lift versus the weight, and then we have a banking turn or, or just a turn or a bank, whatever you want to call it. And we are showing how we have a horizontal component and then we have a vertical component and then we have the total lift of the aircraft. All right. So if that image doesn't help you out or this audio description of it doesn't help you out, I'm also going to put a link to a video in the show notes that you should go and check out because I think that should do the trick and have you understand this. So to summarize, and what you need to remember for the FAA written exam is the way aircrafts turn is that the resultant lift vector is moved, the direction of it is changed in the direction of the turn because there is an added horizontal component of lift added because of the differential lift on your wings. All right, now, now that we got that out of the way, I wanna talk about explaining lift again, and we're to do that, we're gonna use some, some pretty smart guys, Newton and Bernoulli, so we're gonna review their sort of theories and concepts and laws, I guess you would say, and then we'll explain how lift is created beyond just the, the simple explanation of Bernoulli. So let's talk about Newton's laws. Isaac Newton's three laws are essential for any understanding of the physics of the universe as we know it today. They are Newton's first law, second law, and third law. So the first law, every object persists in its state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless it is compelled to change that state by force 
forces impressed on it. Applied to an aircraft, this means that the aircraft sitting on the ground will rest and stay at rest unless an outside force strong enough to move the aircraft acts on it. On the other hand, an aircraft flying straight and level would continue to fly straight and level if there were no outside forces. Unfortunately, there are many outside forces acting on the aircraft. We've talked about a few, thrust, drag, lift, weight. You also have friction and other things. In real life, a pilot must balance these outside forces to fly straight and level. That's Newton's first law. Newton's second law, force is equal to the change in momentum per change in time. For a constant mass, force equals mass times acceleration. His second law describes the outside forces that he noted in his first law. In terms of aircraft, this law says that when the aircraft is acted upon by the forces of lift, drag, thrust, and weight, the aircraft's resulting acceleration is proportional to these forces and the inverse of its mass. You might hear this as F equals M times A, where M is mass, A is acceleration, and F is the force. Then we have Newton's third law, which says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So this is an important one. They're all very important. Uh, the second and third and the first are all very important. But the um, FAA or your examiner will probably, if they ask you about one of these, probably ask you about the third one. I don't know why that is, but they're all, and we'll get to how these, these affect lift. So in an aircraft, the perfect example of Newton's third law is thrust and forward movement. A propeller spins through the air and throws the air backwards with the resulting motion of the aircraft moving forward in the opposite direction. So for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is the same thing as if you were to stand, like when you're standing on a boat and you're getting off the boat, right, onto the dock. And if that boat's not tied down, when you sort of kick off the boat, the boat's going to move away from you, right? As you try and get on that dock, that's an equal and opposite reaction. Because the boat's on the water, there's less friction. And so you can really understand that it's a better visualization of what's happening uh, with Newton's third law. The same thing happens in space where there's almost no forces right if you were an astronaut just floating in space and you had like a cinder block in your hand you could throw that cinder block in one direction and you would actually move in the opposite direction in space so every action has an equal and opposite reaction that's newton's third law all right now i want to talk about bernoulli's principle bernoulli's principle relates the pressure of a moving fluid with its velocity specifically the equation states that as the velocity of a fluid increases the pressure within the fluid decreases and vice versa so we talked about how airspeed and angle of attack are directly related to lift. Well, here we have indirectly related, which means as velocity of a fluid increases, the pressure decreases, or as the velocity decreases, the pressure increases. Okay, and so we have this is represented by an equation that is energy per unit volume in equals energy per unit volume out. And the Bernoulli equation is actually pressure. So P1, which is pressure one plus one half rho V squared, which is one half density times velocity squared plus rho GH. We don't have to get into the details equals P2 plus one half rho V2 squared plus rho gh2 so we have a visual conception of this it's easier to understand a visual example commonly used to test and explain this principle and what we call this is the visual example is a venturi tube a venturi tube is simply a tube with a cross-sectional area that decreases to a minimum size before increasing again as in the figure below so our velocity one our pressure one and our h1 or our a1 which is the area of the tube cross-sectional area of the tube happens at the start of the tube then where it converges that area is called the throat so it converges into a smaller area that would be like area two velocity two pressure two and the area two is smaller than area one right because it's smaller the tube is smaller there but the velocity is higher than area than area one because the velocity the fluid has to squeeze through it and increases the velocity and then the pressure is less than area one because the velocity increases and then as the tube expands again you have area three velocity three height three pressure or three and those are all going to be in line with area one velocity one and pressure one in that you know they're going to be greater than area two in area velocity is going to be less than velocity two and then the pressure is going to be more than than pressure two so go check out the visuals of that that's a hard one to explain in audible but in that figure the flow of the fluid it flows from left to right so it flow enters the tube at the large cross-sectional area with velocity one pressure one area one and then it enters a smaller area causing the velocity to increase the velocity increases because the same amount of air mass has to enter and exit the tube in the same amount of time since there is still 
still the same amount of air needed to pass through the tube, but the area it can pass through is smaller. The air must move through the area at a faster rate in order to meet the condition that the same amount of air enters and exits the tube. At the same time of the velocity increasing, the pressure is decreasing according to Bernoulli's principle. As the air flows past the constricted area, the velocity decreases and the pressure increases back to the values of the entrance of the tube. So go check that out. You can actually go, uh, YouTube these videos on the Bernoulli principle to see visual examples of what this is. But to summarize, the Bernoulli's principle tells us that as velocity increases, pressure decreases and vice versa. So that's what I want you to remember there. Sorry, I took so many words to describe it, but I had to do it again, justice to describe it. All right, so finally, let's break it all down to explain lift. How do these laws describe how the aircraft creates lift? The answer is that lift is created by a number of factors that are explained by a combination of both Bernoulli and Newton's laws. In order to explain these factors, I will tell you step-by-step step how air flows over a wing, and then we'll talk about the different contributing factors. The cross-sectional shape of a wing is called an airfoil. We talked about that. Airfoil shapes have been developed over the years with wind tunnel testing and mathematical models. Airfoil shapes are designed for the specific aircraft weight, speed, and functionality. For example, airfoils for supersonic jets like fighter jets will be shaped differently than airfoils for the subsonic single engine airplanes that student pilots train in like a Cessna 152 or 172. Even the wing on your Cessna 152 or 172 or your Cherokee Warrior is changing for different phases of flight. I remember I mentioned this a little bit. When you lower the flaps, you're changing the effective shape of the wing or the airfoil. You're changing the camber and all of that stuff, which allows you to create more lift at slower flight. So consider the basic design of an airfoil with a flat bottom and curved or cambered top. This is kind of the most common in the aircraft that we will fly. And consider this airfoil is slightly tilted up such that it has a positive angle of attack like the one in the figure that we're showing here. So please follow along in the online ground school if you're in it. We have a good picture of the free stream air. We show the cord line. We show the free stream air line. All the stuff that we've talked about, we show this conceptually, the angle of attack and the air above and below the aircraft. And this is gonna be helpful for you to understand what we're talking about. So let me try and describe it. We have the free stream air at a bit of an angle, so it's not perfectly horizontal. And then we have the cord line and the airfoil, and those are at even more of an angle to the free stream air. And that angle is the angle of attack. Then we have air below, traveling below the airfoil in blue. And it comes in the direction of the free stream air and then it's deflected to angle more downwards below the wing. And then the same sort of thing happens above in green, but has to travel around that curved edge on the air above it in green, but it eventually curves down and is traveling at a downward angle by the end of the wing as well. Okay, so the popular, we talked about this, the popular explanation of lift and the one most pilots are taught is that Bernoulli's principle alone creates lift. This explanation is good enough for the FAA written exam. So I, I wanna make that clear that for the FAA written exam, again, remember what Bernoulli's principle does and what we just talked about, you know, how the velocity, as velocity increases, pressure decreases and vice versa. So that's kind of what the FAA written exam is gonna ask you. They might ask you also the thing about how aircraft turn and the components of lift. So again, the FAA doesn't want pilots to get too in-depth about this obviously you can and it's great if you the more you know the more you understand the better pilot you will be but they're not testing you for aerospace engineering they're testing you to be a pilot so as long as you understand how that affects you as a pilot those are the key things so but that doesn't tell how Bernoulli's principle has a contribution to lift that doesn't tell the whole story accurately and again because I went to school for this stuff as an aerospace engineer I feel it's my duty to understand and explain this as best I can so to sum it up in a single sentence the lift of a wing is proportional to the amount of air diverted down times the downward velocity of that air. So this is sort of a simplified version of Newton's second law, you know, the F equals MA. So we're talking about a resultant force of lift and we have a change in direction and velocity of the air and any change in direction and velocity is the definition of acceleration. So remember Newton's second law, force equals mass times acceleration. So mass is the amount of air. So the more air we can get 
to accelerate, which means either speed up or change direction and increase that acceleration, the more force we'll have. So that is essentially lift in a nutshell. It is it is the lift of a wing is proportional to amount of air diverted down times the downward velocity of that air. So in other words, the more the airfoil of a wing can curve the air and change its direction and the faster that air is traveling, the more lift that is created. Bernoulli's principle explains the velocity part, explains how that velocity speeds up, especially on top of the wing, which we'll get into in a sec because the air pressure is lower, but it does not explain at all. The bending or curvature of the air also contributes to lift. This is where Newton's laws come into play. Once the flow reaches the very leading edge of the wing. So we have the relative wind, the flow of the air, it reaches the, the leading edge of the wing. It reaches what we call a stagnation point where its velocity is zero. From this leading edge, the flow speeds up and splits to flow both above and below the airfoil. All right, so I wanna talk about the first contribution to lift. The air below the wing changes direction downward due to the positive angle of attack and shape of the wing airfoil. This change of direction downward has an opposite reaction according to Newton's third law that states for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This opposite reaction contributes to lift. So the air hits the bottom of the airfoil and deflects downward, making the wing deflect upward, and that is a contribution to lift. The next contribution I wanna talk about is the air traveling above the wing is also turned and follows the curved shape. And again, this is due to friction, which I'll talk about in a second. That's why it stays attached to the wing and actually makes it curve around and down the top of the wing. All right, and I'll talk about that fr friction a little bit more, but by the time this air gets to the trailing edge of the wing and meets the air from below the wing, it is also pointing in the downward direction. Again, this change of direction, remember we talked about the more we can get the air to turn, the more we have more acceleration of the air. Remember, acceleration is any change in velocity or direction. This change of direction downward has an opposite reaction according to Newton's third law. Again, this opposite reaction also contributes to the lift. Contribution of lift number three. The air traveling above and below the wing are at different pressures, and this is where Bernoulli comes into play. The air above the wing is at a lower pressure because the front of the wing is pushing air molecules out of the way. And that top of the wing is sort of hiding from the air, hiding behind the air. The airflow is basically like a shield to the oncoming air. So right behind it, there's lower air pressure because you don't feel the brunt of the air hitting you on there. You can think of uh, about this as like a space capsule re-entering Earth's atmosphere. The space directly behind the capsule is less of a fireball because the capsule is blocking it from the oncoming air molecules, the relative wind. So this lower pressure sort of right behind the relative wind on top of the, the wing causes the air to travel faster above the wing according to Bernoulli's principle that tells us as the velocity increases the pressure decreases or vice versa right if when the pressure decreases it's going to increase the velocity so the air on top of the wing is traveling faster this is also sometimes called a vacuum effect as the low pressure causes the higher pressure air from below the wing entering the area to accelerate into the area of low pressure like a sucking vacuum so we have lower pressure on top that means that pressure on the bottom of the wing is higher and it wants to sort of have a vacuum effect up towards the low pressure and you kind of get this pull upwards for for lift now the air traveling below the wing again is at a higher pressure because of the leading edge of the airfoil is not blocking it from the oncoming air so it feels that air it feels that extra pressure so the air at the bottom does not experience this vacuum effect and stays at a higher pressure the high pressure below the wing low pressure suction above the wing contributes to an upper force or lift and again i highly recommend you take a visual look at the image we have in here while you're listening to this because i think it might click a little bit better if you do that so i mentioned friction i want to take a quick pause and talk about why I mentioned friction. The reason why the air turns to follow the top and bottom of the wings is due to a thing called friction. Friction affects any two materials, solid, liquid, or gas that come in contact with, with one another. As a fluid, liquid, or gas flows over a surface, a certain number of molecules of that fluid get stuck to the surface. This is easily visualized with a rough surface, but it's still seen on the smoothest of surfaces at the microscopic level. So although we might feel with our hands a surface that we think is very smooth, like the wing of an aircraft, but if you look at it at a microscopic level, something you will see 
a lot of imperfections and ridges and cuts. You can actually Google this and see and be like microscopic view of aircraft wing surface. And you'll actually see a bunch of, it's actually, it looks really, really rough. And when we have tiny little air molecules traveling over that, they're gonna get stuck in those cuts and bits and ridges at the microscopic level. And it's gonna slow them traveling, right? It's gonna slow them down. Imagine, you know, if you were, if you're traveling over, you know, just flat land, it's gonna be a lot easier as if you're traveling over like a mountainous range. It's gonna take you a lot longer because you have to go up and down and all the stuff that's the same thing so the air molecules that are right along that the first few layers of air molecules right along the surface are going to be hitting into this roughness surface at the microscopic level and it's going to slow it down and that's friction right there so there's friction that's kind of grabbing those air molecules and kind of slowing them down therefore as air flows over the surface of a wing a certain amount of air molecules are getting stuck to the wing due to the friction the amount of air molecules is usually referred to as a thickness that we call the boundary layer so the amount of air molecules that are getting slowed by that surface is called the thickness of that area where they're still being affected is called the boundary layer. The effect of friction causes the molecules to stay attached to the wing and travel parallel to the wing surface as shown in the figure above. So that boundary layer, that friction kind of grabs a hold of the air and causes it to stay attached and flow over the surface of the wing. And we're going to talk about what happens when that becomes un unattached when we talk about stall. Phew. All right. So that was... That was a, a pretty complex lesson. So I want to kind of just briefly summarize one more time what you need to remember for the FA written. If you want to geek out and you want to ask me more questions about how to understand all these things, I'd love to do that. You can reach out team at parttimepilot.com. But I probably added a little bit too much information for most student pilots out there. The things you got to know to become a pilot and be an FAA written is a lot less than what I talked about, but I think it helps with the understanding and it always makes you a better pilot. The more you understand how something is working and how your aircraft is flying is one of the most important things to know. So that's why I included it. But the things that the FAA is going to ask you about, I kind of briefly talked about it before, but let's just talk about it again. Uh, lift is the upward force that causes aircraft to fly. It directly opposes the force of weight, which is caused by gravity. Lift is a direct function of airspeed and angle of attack. So as angle of attack goes up, lift goes up. As airspeed goes up, lift goes up. Airspeed is the biggest contributor to lift because in that lift equation, remember you have airspeed squared in that numerator. It's going to contribute the most to lift. So that's why when you are close to a stall, you want to immediately try and think of how you can increase the airspeed and the speed of air over your wing. Okay, AOA, right? It goes up, but only to a certain level. That's called the critical AOA. After that, you reach stall. We'll talk about that more in the next lesson. Density of air also directly affects the amount of lift. And we're going to talk about that more in detail uh, when we talk about density altitude. Also, the surface area of a wing directly affects lift. So the more surface area, the more lift you have. But there is a trade-off with weight. So that's why not aircraft, not all aircrafts have huge wings. Uh, then the components of lift. Uh, lift is a force. So it has components in three-dimensional space. We talked about, we sort of dumbed it down into two dimensions. And we talked about a vertical and horizontal component of lift. When you're in straight and level flight, that component of lift is vertical. But when you turn and you have a different amount of lift on one wing than the other wing, you add in a horizontal component of lift, which pushes your aircraft in the direction of the turn. And it makes that resultant force of lift slanted towards the direction of your turn. And what else did we talk about? We talked about Newton's laws. You won't be asked about Newton's laws on the FAA written, but you might be asked about them on your check ride. So we talked about first law, second law, third law. The first law was every object persists in its state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless it is compelled to change that state by forces impressed on it. Second law is force is equal to the change of momentum per change in time for a constant mass. Force equals mass times acceleration. And Newton's third law for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Then we talked about Bernoulli's principle, which said the principle relates the pressure of a moving fluid with its velocity. So as velocity increases, the pressure decreases or the reverse. If pressure decreases, velocity increases. If pressure increases, the velocity decreases. So they are indirectly related, they work in opposites according for fluids in Bernoulli's principle. Then we talked about how those different things contribute to lift. The one thing that you'll have to remember
customer for the FAA is that the pressure on top of a wing is lower, making the velocity higher according to Bernoulli's principle, and that creates a lifting force. So that's the one thing you gotta remember. They, the one thing they ask you about is the Bernoulli's part in the FAA written. If you are asked on your check ride oral, you may wanna mention the other contributing factors, which had to do with Newton's second law and third law. We talked about briefly, you know, the cord line of an airfoil, the angle of attack. We'll talk about those more when we get into the stall, but those are things you're gonna want to remember as well as free stream air. So please go check out the, the visuals in the course. And that's about it. Those are kind of the key concepts you're gonna to need to remember for the FAA written. And then you're gonna be able to hold them all together and explain them all together for your check ride oral. So yeah, that's it. That has been a long lesson. I hope you guys were able to paint some pictures in your head with the way I described these. And hopefully it was able to help you guys out. It's been a long lesson. I need some water, but thank you guys all for making it through this far. If you made it through this far, I wish I could give you a high five. I'll give you a virtual high five because we made it through and that shows some dedication that you wanna learn and that that's freaking awesome so thank you for supporting the podcast we're getting more and more downloads every single day so please tell your friends it's a great free resource i don't know how long it's going to be free but it's really really popular everyone's loving it every day i get a message from someone saying how much they love it and how thankful they are to have a free resource that they can listen to while they drive run whatever so please tell your friends share the word and let's make this the best podcast ever and the most valuable for you guys ever so Thanks again. I will talk to you guys next week when we talk about lesson three of section seven in the online ground school, which is going to be on stalls. Again, that's going to be another kind of long lesson. We might finish it up and we might get to spins because they are related to stalls. In a way, they're not the same. They're a little bit different, but we'll talk about stalls and spins in the next episode. All right, guys, I will talk to you later. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors, and $22,000, and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot now of course it's not that we're not thinking but it's that we understand things like weather aerodynamics what our instruments are telling us what atc is telling us we have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them and when we don't have to think about them we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations if we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with atc for bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they 
continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.